Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, I've, I've noticed an alarming trend, and you may have noticed it as well. Um, kind of with the popularity of social media, we have the privilege and opportunity to look into people's lives a little more uh, than we used to a number of years ago. And so I, I'm not sure if this is a relatively new trend, if it's something that's all always has kind of just existed, or if we're just seeing more of it because of how the internet has shaped our culture and given us a view into people's lives. But um, there has been this trend that I've noticed of prominent evangelical leaders, uh, of, uh, of those that have been ha- have had an active voice in the church, whether it be in music or ministry or uh, just maybe a, an influencer in general, that have gone through this journey over the last number of years of reevaluating their faith, many of them leaving orthodoxy altogether and uh, seeing kind of these spiritual leaders that we look up to kind of fall off one by one. They're having these crises of faith. Um, you see, I, I think it's a, it's a trend that's gaining ground in mainline Christendom, um, and it's one that needs to be addressed. And it, it falls oftentimes under this guise of theological deconstruction. If you kind of type that phrase into Google, you'll see a number of things come up, and most of them are somewhat in a positive light. And the way that it works is that uh, you say, well, I have questions, I have doubts, I have these issues that I can't come to terms with with my faith, and so therefore I'm going to kind of deconstruct this faith system that I've built and examine each piece one by one to see what I really believe and you come out at the end of it looking different than when you started. And now inherently that's not a bad thing, friends. I'm a firm proponent of actually uh, uh, fleshing out questions of when we encounter doubt, when we when we have these things that cause us to ponder. Um, I, I believe that those can actually be healthy. I believe when James talks about the testing of our faith um, in James chapter 1 that produces patience and let patience have its perfect worth with you. I believe that there's a testing that comes that proves a genuineness of faith. But I think we can go too far in glorifying this process of doubt and kind of this process of, of questioning to the place where it's unhealthy. And I think it's happened a lot within the church, and we're seeing people walk away from the Lord of genuine faith in Christ under the guise of, you know what, I'm going through this process of dealing with my doubts. And I want to know why. I want to kind of get to the basis of what faith actually is. How do we encounter doubt and what do we do when we do encounter doubt and disillusionment? What do we do with it? How do we how do we navigate that healthily? Um, I believe that there is a way. I believe there is a there is a process for us to take our questions, to take our doubts, to take our our wonderings before the Lord, and and come out on the other side of it in a healthy response. Um, so that's kind of the the motivating factor, the driving kind of uh, push for this teaching that we're going to get into. So my, my title this morning is Faith Reconstructed, 
And it's simply going to serve as an introduction for the next couple of weeks. And so I just want to get you guys on the same page with me, kind of engaged in this kind of ongoing dialogue and conversation that we're going to have leading up to Easter for the next couple of weeks on what exactly faith is. How does it actually engage our life? How do we grow in faith? And what do we do with our questions and our doubts? How many of you guys here have ever doubted God? How many of you guys have ever uh, maybe came to something that you've read in Scripture or maybe a, a principle or a teaching that you questioned because you couldn't figure out how that actually fits in? Uh, I, I, I wrestle with those things, and I believe there's an appropriate and healthy way to wrestle with these concepts of doubt and uh, maybe even disillusionment and, these, and just the, the, the wonderings that actually bring us to a healthier place on the other end of it. And so I should get back to my notes, but if I think that this is actually something that can be done healthily, then why are so many people that I see going through this process, a lot of big Christian leaders and those kind of influencers, and I, I, see, I see even close friends and peers going through these, uh, almost like a mid-faith crisis, <laughs> if you would, and seeing them come out and step away from Orthodox Christianity. Um, because that's the trend I see. I see them kind of enter into this process of bringing doubts and questions before the Lord, and actually, really, essentially, in my viewpoint, abandoning Orthodox faith altogether rather than coming out stronger on the other end of it. Um, and I want to be able to see, because I, I want to be able to help navigate us as a body with tough questions, with hard, uh, with, with hard to understand things, be able to bring it before God and come out better on the other side of it. Does that make sense? Simple, I'm just trying to, uh, this morning I'm trying to keep it as simple and possible, uh, as, as possible. So the first thing I would say is that doubt in and of itself isn't sinful. And I, I, I'm going to back that statement up. But I believe when we live in doubt, it leads to sin. Um, you see, I, I consider doubt and questions um, in, this, in this aspect um, almost like a check engine light that comes on in your car, right? Um, when, uh, when that light comes on, it's an indicator that something's wrong, and you can do one or two things. You can ignore it and just hope that it gets better, or you can actually investigate what that light has come on for and get to the root of the problem, right? And uh, to me, that, that's the easiest way I can, can, can kind of throw that out there. Uh, I believe living in doubt will rob you of blessing of God because you can't live in doubt and faith simultaneously. And we understand that the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. And so when I'm saying doubt in and of itself is not sinful, uh, I mean that in a sense like we have doubt. Uh, you're going to encounter doubt. You're going to encounter questions. And Jesus isn't intimidated by those. It's not, you're not, you're not kind of isolated. You're not, you're not without company if you have questions and you have doubt. And I believe the Lord even anticipates that from you, but he wants to deal with it. And it's not a place that we live life from. We're called to live life uh, from a place of faith. 
faith and doubt simply do not mix. James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith when we're asking of God. This is specifically in terms of wisdom. But with anything, when we ask in faith, we must not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he would receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so I want to be very clear this morning, and I want to emphasize this. I believe doubt is a natural repercussion of the fall. I believe doubt comes with sin and actually is a breeding ground for us to distrust God and give in to sinful tendencies. But if you're living in a place this morning where you have doubt, you have questions, I don't want you to give up hope. I don't want you to leave discouraged. But what I, my attempt here is this morning is to kind of walk us into a place where we can deal with doubt and questioning in a healthy manner. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me here? I, I just want to be clear and maybe over, uh, over communicate what I'm saying. Um, I, I believe this is probably going to be the shortest sermon that I ever preach <laughs> uh, because uh, I initially had like six points and I felt like the Lord told me to kind of hold off on the rest of it and just get to the first part of this, uh, of this message today and uh, just let it serve as an introduction. And so with that, um, this morning, this is just, uh, it's going to be an honest info introduction into the topics of faith and doubt and how do we grow in faith and healthily address our doubt because I believe when doubt and disillusionment are dealt with it'll actually increase our capacity to believe God for who he is and grow in faith Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see Bible gives a pretty good definition of definition <laughs> of what faith actually is. The dictionary would kind of uh, coincide with that saying that belief or that faith is defined as a belief and devotion to God. It's, it's essentially not just a belief in God, right? We, we can believe in God and it not do us any good. James would go on in, uh, in his letter here in James chapter 2 to say that uh, you believe in one God, that's good, even the demons believe that and they shudder at that fact. He talks about faith and uh, faith living and fleshing out in action. And that's why I like the dictionary definition of this because it's not just defined as belief, but it's belief and devotion too, meaning there's a connotation of action behind what you believe. I know that we've talked about it a, a number of times. You know, Tyler has referenced it. I've referenced it. But I can believe that this platform will hold me, right? But faith is actually putting that belief in action and getting on the platform. I shared that story a number of weeks ago about the Charles Boudin guy that uh, pushed a uh, that, that tightrope walked over the Niagara Falls, right? <laughs> and he pushed a wheelbarrow over the falls, and everybody was like, wow, that's really impressive. And he asked, how many of you guys believe that I could push a person across the falls, right? <laughs> and, uh, or push a person on a tightrope across the fall. And they all said, yeah, we believe that you could. But nobody volunteered to get in the wheelbarrow, right? And we talked about the difference between belief and faith. Faith is actually putting belief into action. 
And that's why James is very adamant of the fact that faith without works is dead. You can believe that God is good. You can believe that he's the only God. But unless there's fruit and action to back up what you say you believe, it's really useless. And so faith, uh, faith is more than just a belief, but it's a belief and a devotion. Faith is, is putting our trust in God into action. It's kind of the same idea of putting your money where your mouth is kind of a saying, right? It's got to be more than just something that's in word only, but it's accompanied by action. And we understand that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because he's actually concerned about what you and I do with our lives. And when we live in faith, when we live in trust that what God has in store for us is good, and that he himself is good, we see miraculous things begin to transpire. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Beginning in verse 14, it says, When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to him, or said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So it's this interesting story here. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the labels that Jesus uses when he talks to people about faith. There are some people that he calls faithless. In this example, he's speaking about his disciples. (laughs) He's speaking about the people that were supposed to cast out the demons, and he calls them a faithless and perverse generation. Whoa, Jesus, that's heavy-handed, is it not? (laughs) Like, slow down. (laughs) Jesus goes on, and we'll, we'll encounter in another story in the future where Jesus calls his disciples Uh, of uh, people or men of little faith. There's some there. It moves from faithless to to a little faith. (laughs) And then we're going to look at some of the ones that I'm excited to get to. I even told Tate that that's what I was going to preach on this morning, but I'm holding it for another couple weeks. But we're going to look at some of the examples of Jesus uh, calling out great faith in people throughout the scriptures. But there's one thing I need you to understand here is that regardless of if you have just a, a, a tiny bit of faith or you barely have faith at all, or maybe you're, you're in this place of being faithless this morning, that faith actually can grow. <laughs> Ephesians will tell us that, Ephesians chapter 2 will actually tell us that faith is a gift from God, but I believe faith in, in and of itself is something that grows. So when we see Jesus here talking about faith is like a mustard seed, I don't believe he's just referencing the size of a mustard seed. 
I don't believe he's just saying that the seed is small and that your faith is small. But what I'm believing he's saying is that your faith is small now, but what you do with it can cause it to grow and blossom into a, a, a flourishing tree. Jesus, just a few chapters earlier than this in the Gospel of Matthew, references the kingdom of God being likened to that of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but it blossoms into a flourishing tree where birds find and perch in its branches. You see, I don't think Jesus' intention here was just to say, man, if you just have a little bit of faith, then you'll be able to move mountains. I believe he's speaking to the nature of faith growing into something that's far larger than what it appears when we first initially encounter it. In fact, when Jesus references this same thought and this teaching about the mustard seed in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples, it's preceded by the disciples coming to Jesus and asking Jesus, Lord, would you increase our faith? And so I believe that Jesus' response is that faith is like a mustard seed. And it may start small, but it has the capacity to grow. It's something that is alive. I don't know if you guys have struggled with this, but when I first gave my life to the Lord, I had immense faith that God could do anything. I remember spending long hours in prayer. I remember almost with this foolish naivety uh, preaching the gospel and witnessing to my friends and just passionately chasing people down. But at some point in time in my faith journey, uh, I began to grow a little cynical, a little calloused, and a little disillusioned because I, I let disappointment take root rather than continuing to see faith foster and grow. And I believe that that's probably a story most people relate with. And so with that, I was convicted and I was asking Holy Spirit, why is that? It's because I let my faith, I let my my trust and my belief in God be dictated by other people's circumstance, by outside situations, rather than being firmly planted and rooted in who he is first. You see, it's not a matter of the size of your faith here. It's where your faith is placed that determines the outcome. That's the second truth that I would like to bring out of this short teaching of Jesus. He's, while, while faith can grow, even if it's at mustard seed size, it's not contingent upon how much or how little faith you necessarily have. It's where that little faith is placed that we see transformation begin. That we see change actually manifest. But That's not what I'm talking about this morning. I want to talk and share what spiritual maturity would look like if we actually let faith in Jesus continue to grow rather than neglect to cultivate it. Because I believe that that's probably where most people are in Christian churches today, where we see, and I believe that's a reason why we see people leaving the church and leaving faith in Jesus in kind of an exodus almost, at least that's the narrative social media would proclaim. I'm not trying to be this kind of doom and gloom kind of person. I, I, don't, I don't believe that that's uh, necessarily uh, a correct portrayal. But I do know that there is an issue. I do know that I have seen uh, kind of prominent voices and figures departing from uh, Christianity and orthodox belief. And I believe a lot of it has to do that they're just dis- they're disillusioned. 
They're discouraged. They didn't ever deal with doubt. They didn't ever deal with questions. And they let that disappointment grow and fester to a place where they really didn't believe anymore. And so if you're saying, man, that resonates with me, that hits home, I believe that these next couple weeks are going to be powerful for us um, in terms of seeing faith blossom once again and seeing it grow. I want to be spiritually mature, friends. I want to be spiritually mature, and I think we've, we've kind of boiled down spiritual maturity to look like, um, you know, we, we tackle these heady subjects and these things, and, you know, we have answers for all the, all the kind of illogical aspects of our faith. And can I tell you, there are going to be things about serving Jesus that make zero sense. That is an aspect of faith. That's why Hebrews actually talks about it is the evidence of things hoped for. It's being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. There is an element of that. There is, um, there is this understanding that we can't have an answer for everything. We're not going to see physically um, every answer. And I, I want to kind of dispel this notion that spiritual maturity looks like you have an answer for everything. I believe spiritual maturity looks much more like a child that simply says, God, you're good. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's the perfect answer for every doubt and every question, but I want to live my life in such a way that I never question God's character and I never question his goodness. I may have... I may have questions about the why and the how and the what, but I'm never going to live in a place where I have a question about the who. And I believe we can get to that place where we do not question God's character. We do not question whether or not he's good um, because it's in that place. It's in the place of understanding and being rooted in the knowledge that God is in fact good that we see everything else kind of unfold. And so uh, these, are, these are things that aren't, aren't in my introduction that I'm going to talk about in the future, and I'm excited about it. But the simple aspect that I think is important for us to, to grow in faith, right? Remember, we're talking about that's kind, of the, that's kind of the overarching goal here is to grow in faith. I believe that there's one simple, actually, I have six different things that I believe are simple, but the only one I'm going to speak on this morning is that for faith to grow, it's got to be planted. And if you want your faith in Jesus to grow, my simple encouragement to you would be to get planted. Get planted in the house of the Lord. Find a place where you can put down roots and that you can grow. Get planted in the word of God and see how it changes your life. One of the things that I've noticed about a lot of these voices, and I've read a lot of these stories, and I'm not naming names specifically because I don't want to kind of just perpetuate some nonsense, but one of the things that I've encountered, even with friends that I have seen walk away from faith in Jesus recently, um, almost all of them wound up in a place of trying to figure it out by themselves. They had questions, they had doubts, they had these kind of lingering thoughts, and they did what I would caution no one to do. They stepped away from church. They stepped away from the house and the family of God to somehow pursue 
truth in a way that made sense to them, and they did it in isolation. Can I tell you that nothing ever gets better in isolation? (laughs) In fact, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, few things get better in isolation, though sin demands to have a man by himself. Friends, when we isolate ourselves, when we withdraw in trying to figure out this faith thing on our own or through the help of some kind of book or online, and we remove ourselves from the family and the house of God, we open ourselves up to all kinds of illogical ideas and the voice of the enemy. I believe, you know, there's that saying that there's safety in numbers. The, the thought behind that is when we're gathered together in family, this should be a safe place for us to walk through questions, for us to walk through doubts, to walk through the hard things that we wrestle with amongst our faith. But historically, the church has been very bad at providing a space for people to actually ask questions. Right? That's the reason why people isolate themselves. That's why the people feel like there's a need for them to step out of church in order to kind of do this theological deconstruction because we've not made it okay if somebody has a question, if somebody has a doubt, they don't know how to actually walk through it. And I was, I was arrested with this thought. If somebody was here in our church on a Sunday morning that was doubting the character of God and whether he cared or whether he was real or they had questions about the validity of the Bible or if Jesus really was who he said he was, would they feel okay in this house being able to ask a question, (laughs) being able to walk through those doubts, walk through those hard questions? And I want this to be a house where that's okay. We're not going to celebrate doubt. That, hear me here, out here. We're not going to celebrate and feel like, you know, all those things are like, yeah, it's super healthy or anything like that. But when they do arise, how are we responding? How are we dealing with them? Does that make sense? And I want you to know if you have questions, if you have doubts, the last thing I want you to say is, you know what, well, you know what, Nate and that church, I'm just not holy enough. I'm not good enough to be a part of what God's doing there. And evidently, I'm not on the same wavelength, so I'm just going to take a step back while I figure this out on myself, figure this out for myself. I believe that's detrimental to actually seeing a healthy faith grow and foster. Does that make sense? Psalm 92.13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I believe we see such a poor example of spiritual maturity within the church at large today because we see so few people actually get planted in the house of the Lord. Right? We have people that will come to a Bible study. They go from here to there. They do, they do their church online or watch it on TV. And there's no real life or fellowship happening with the family of God. But there's a flourishing that is promised to those who are planted in the house of God. Friends, my, my encouragement to you is get plugged in, get planted, get involved with what God's doing. 
I don't know how many times we've come across some hard teaching in Scripture in our deeper projects where it was confusing and it was hard to understand and it would typically stir up doubt and confusion, but we've been able to flesh those thoughts out and walk through them as a deeper project around a meal, uh, studying the Word of God. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And I believe that there's life that comes forth when we get planted, when we get rooted, when we lay down uh, some roots, right? Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me here? But instead, our go-to is to disengage, is to pull back, is to kind of just isolate ourselves. You see, Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. I've seen this pattern kind of again and again and again. And it breaks my heart because I can think of these empty chairs where people kind of come every once in a while. And they're saying, hey, yeah, we're here. This is our church. And they'll, they'll come against, something will come up that I teach. Or, or the Holy Spirit will start moving in such a way that makes them uncomfortable. And they feel like, you know, I can't just be a part of this because my life's not figured out yet. Or I've not, I've not kind of got all my pieces together and we see kind of this half-hearted approach to the family of God. We see this kind of wishy-washy commitment to the teaching and the way of Jesus. And we see isolation kind of build up. And then they stop responding to wise counsel. They stop responding to, to sound judgment. Because that's what happens. Scripture tells us that's what happens when we isolate ourselves. So my warning, friends, is to not do that, to get planted, to lay down some roots. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Not just roots, not just get planted in the house and the family of God, because I believe that that is pivotal and that's important, but we need to get planted into the Word of God as well. I love Psalms, and I love this first one. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. It talks about delighting in the very word of God, this book, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Friends, I want that to be true about me. I want to be able to bear fruit in every season. I want there to be, I want there to never be this kind of moment of wavering in my walk with the Lord. And that happens when I find myself rooted in this truth. When I find myself planted in this. When I see people that are disengaged with the teaching and the following of Jesus and they're doing this theological deconstruction, rather than actually immersing themselves in this truth, they're exploring other avenues of thought and they're looking down these different roads to try to find some other answer to what they felt uncomfortable of actually bringing before the Lord and they wind up with this mess of all kinds of jumbledness. I don't know, that's probably not like, oh, well, that seems very narrow-minded of you. I want to be narrow-minded when it comes to eternity. Because Jesus says that the way to heaven is narrow. 
Does that make sense? Like either Jesus is who he said he was and what he said was true, or we're all wasting our time. I want to be planted in this word. So my simple message this morning, my simple message today in terms of faith and what to do is to get planted in the family of God and get planted in the house of God. And I want us to collectively have the mindset that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. It's not okay to live in it. But it's okay to bring those things before the Lord, and it has to be a safe place to do it here in the house of God. Because if we don't have a space for people to bring honest questions and concerns and and unbelief before the Lord (laughs) here, they're going to bring it to other avenues and other schools of thought. And that's what we've seen. And inevitably, people walk away from the Lord because of it. Does that make sense? Like, we shouldn't be caught off guard by that. Oh, we told people not to doubt, and then when they have doubts, we treat them like they're the scourge and they're unsafe to be around. Does that make sense? We want to be able to address these things head on. And so that's why on Sunday evening, tonight, we're going to explore this topic a little bit more. And we're actually going to begin to collect questions from everybody that is here. And so maybe you might have a question. You don't come on Sunday nights. But you're saying, Nate, I've always wondered this. Or I've had, I have my doubts about this. Or like, how could a loving God actually send people to hell? Like, do we actually believe that Jesus is coming back? Or is that just figurative? All these different things that may be hard. I mean, like, really, things that I think we should wrestle with. That we should have some kind of response um, for. uh, We're going to begin to explore that. And I believe that as a result of it, faith is going to foster and increase. That faith is going to actually flourish in this house. And can I tell you something? I believe that faith is contagious. And as I was praying for God to increase my faith and increase faith in this house, I I believe that he was just showing me a picture of it it being uh, like a contagious thing of just being around somebody that has faith, stirs faith inside of me. I don't know if you've experienced that or if you've been around that. Um, And I want this to be a healthy environment where people can be around people that have faith and see it grow and foster in other people's lives. And that's my prayer. But we're going to begin to, we're going to begin to tackle some of these questions on Sunday evenings. We're going to be able to kind of create a space for, for people that have questions to begin to ask them in a place where we know, one, Jesus is not intimidated by questions. He's not intimidated by unbelief. He's not caught off guard by your doubt, but he wants to be there with us to walk through it. It's like the prayer that we encounter in the Gospels. Lord, help my unbelief. He wants to do that. He doesn't want you to kind of live in this place. You know, the worst piece of advice that I ever received as a young man that was trying to passionately serve the Lord was to live a life of balance. You may say, no, I think that's pretty good. 
but, but I was told to, to kind of tone it down, that I was too passionate, that I needed to learn how to read a room, and that I needed to be more balanced in my approach to my pursuit with God. And what they were really saying, because I was praying for stupid radical stuff, you know, I was, I was like, I was praying, I was the kid that would get up like with the megaphone at, at high school and like stand on the, on, the, on, the chair, on the tables in the lunchroom and like preach the gospel because I was believing for revival to sweep through my campus. I mean, I was praying that God would save and move in, in, in the projects where I was living and I, I was believing God for big radical things. And I remember I had this well-meaning, uh, he was a youth leader, pulled me aside one day. He's like, Nate, like, that's all great and stuff. We need to be a little more realistic. And so what he was, you need to be a little more balanced. And, I, you know, I carried that for a long time. Can I tell you, what are you supposed to balance faith with? Doubt is what he was suggesting. Seriously, that's, what, that's how you balance it out. Well, I believe God for this, but I don't think you'll actually do that, so let's kind of meet him in the middle. Scripture tells me that he's able to do immeasurably more than what we could ask for or imagine. I don't want to live in a place where I have to stifle my faith to make others feel comfortable. And I want this to be a house that believes God for big things. I want this to be a house that believes that God can still move in this city, that God can still save, that God can still heal. And I don't want to make amends, I don't want to make apologies for people that aren't there yet. Because I believe it's contagious in the same way that doubt and questioning is as well. But I, 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 I'm not, this is not to be like bragging here this morning or this isn't like to pat myself on the back. But I believe the faith that I have in Jesus is more powerful than the doubts that you might have against him. I, I realize how arrogant that might seem, but I believe that this house is healthy. I believe that what God has been doing here, has been stirring us, has been a good thing. I honestly don't think that there's, there's a, from just, where we've been and what we've been talking about and how God's been moving in our services that necessarily this crowd on Sunday morning you're all having this kind of faith crisis and you're about to jump ship but I know there are people in this community that are and I believe what God has begun and begun to foster inside of us is in a healthy place for us to see people come out of the funk that they're in and step into faith does that make sense and so this is, this is our introduction this morning. This is the direction that we're going. And we're going to make room for people that do have questions to ask them. And this is all leading up to Easter. I'm really excited about it. If you guys remember last year, I was looking at the wrong calendar. And I didn't preach my Easter sermon actually on Easter. I have a 2020 calendar this year. <laughs> I know when Easter actually is. <laughs> we're planning for it, not on the wrong date. And I think God's going to do some mighty exciting things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.